up, guys. Well, good morning, Saul Company. My name's Mark Vance. I'm a... Good to see you guys, too. I'm the lead pastor of Cornerstone Church in uh, Ames, Iowa. Guys, we had a great weekend so far, haven't we? Been amazing. Ready to cook here a little bit, right? Guys, we had a family reunion here. Not just a family on mission, family reunion. There have been so many things I've learned from this family, so many new cheers uh, for teams. Where, my Missouri State folks, bear up, am I right? Over there, yeah? We got, we got bear up, we not only have bear up, Indiana, Purdue, we got boiler up, right? A little bit of that cheer, love that one. For the first time in my life, I'm gonna say this because I love you guys out of City Light Lincoln, go Big Red. First and only time in my life, guys, because we love you in the Lord. But we hate all your sports teams and everything like that. But look, no, no, I'm not gonna go all Dean and Sarah and start throwing shade at every single person here. I love you, Dean. That's right, I just blew him a kiss. If you're wondering what I did, that was me blowing a kiss to Dean and Sarah. Love you, Dean. And how can we forget that it's great to be a Florida Gator? That's right, guys. Unless you're from Florida State. Okay, no, let, let, you got afterwards, because the dividing wall's been torn down, you guys have to hug it out and kiss. All right, no. Guys, we love you all from Florida. Thanks, guys, for joining us for the best family reunion in the world. Am I right, Saul Company? This has been incredible. All throughout the weekend. The best family reunion in the world, celebrating the best news in all the world. It's not just good news, it's the best news. It's the good news of the gospel. Ephesians chapter two, right? Icky starting us off. But God, who is rich in mercy through grace, has saved us so that now when Satan and sin accuse us, we can look at our accusers and we can say, hey, I'm good because I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. Rob Warren, yesterday morning, that was incredible. Rob, thank you for that word from the Lord. Ephesians chapter two, that there is a vertical gospel that now has horizontal implications for all of us. So we're not just reconciled to God in Christ, we're made part of a new body in Christ, that Jesus has brought unity where the world could never see it. And then Dean and Sarah last night, throwing shade and gospel fire, telling us that we can count on the promises of God no matter what, that we have a sovereign plan of God that will be accomplished. And now today, If you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Ephesians chapter three, and we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter three, starting in verse 14. And we're gonna end our time with a prayer. I think maybe my favorite prayer in all the Bible, Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 to 21. And I think inside of this prayer, a gospel word that I'm praying will echo for generations in Salt Company, that God would use his word to bring a word to you in time and place right now that would transform your life forever. So follow along with me as I read, this is God's word, Ephesians chapter three, starting at verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, and I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen. 
I have a simple roadmap for us today. We're gonna start at the end of this prayer. We're gonna hear kind of what I'm gonna call the exclamation point of praise. The end of Paul's prayer, verses 21 and 20, and then we're gonna go backward to the beginning of Paul's prayer, and we're gonna ask this question, what is it that Paul is asking? What are his two requests and the ultimate result of Paul's prayer? But I wanna start at the end. Verses 20 and 21, look again with me if you would. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond, exceedingly more, immeasurably more, than all we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. Troy Nesbitt, the founder of Cornerstone Church, president right now of the Salt Network, a few months ago shared this observation with me. It stuck with me. He said, Mark, when you look at this prayer, a lot of times we think, now to him who could do immeasurably more, that Paul has like an imagination moment. He's imagining forward to all God could do. But Paul said, you know what, Mark? What's really happening here is Paul isn't so much praying looking forward as Paul is praying looking back. He's looking back on all God already has done. That is proof that God is the God who can do immeasurably more than we would ever ask or imagine. Paul is looking back, for instance, at everything he just shared with us in this letter to the Ephesians, right? He's looking back at chapter one, where he says that in him we were chosen before the foundation of the world. In him we were redeemed in love. In him we have been given an inheritance that cannot be taken away. In him the Holy Spirit has been given to us. And then he's looking back to Ephesians chapter two. That by grace, those of us who were dead in our sins and trespasses made alive together with Christ, that through faith we can be saved. He's looking back on the unbelievable work that God would pull together out of a diverse group of people, Jews and Gentiles into one body, people who have never been together in a church would be together. He's looking back on all of that and he's saying, this is proof, what I'm seeing right now is proof that God can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. He's looking back on his life. Paul began his life not as a devoted Christian missionary, but as a devoted opponent of the church. He began his life as a persecutor of Christians. He oversaw the murder of Christians until Jesus met him on the Damascus Road, changed his life forever, and then called him out to take the good news not to the Jews, to Jerusalem, but to expand it all throughout the Roman Empire. And now Paul is looking back, sitting at this point in his life, and he's saying, God has done more than I ever could have asked or imagined. It's not a prayer of imagination. It's a prayer of reflection. That's the sort of sense that I have had on my heart all throughout this weekend, Salt Company. I was a salt director in Ames when we had our very first salt company conference. It wasn't a national conference. There were only three salt companies there. In 2015, we started. Salt Company Iowa State, Salt Company University of Iowa, Salt Company Northern Iowa. It wasn't a gospel movement that was reaching from the West Coast to the East Coast to Florida. It was a family of churches that had started in the middle of cornfields in Iowa, in the middle of a state where there are 10 times more hogs than people. That is a true statement. You're welcome, world, for bacon. <laughs> and we met up in a room just over there, in a ballroom, and there were a whole bunch of pre- people who for the first time started to think maybe God wanted to do more than just reach students in Iowa. And we started praying these prayers. We started setting our alarms at 10.02 to pray Luke 10.2. The harvest is plentiful, laborers are few. Lord, would you send laborers out into the harvest? We started asking God to birth something out of a cornfield in Iowa that would echo for generations in North America. And we had no idea what God would do. That first conference, little over 1,000 students from three salt companies in Iowa to a room now, nearly 5,000 students from 30 salt companies, 30 churches, 31 salt companies in 15 states. And what I'm saying is, as I look out at you guys, you're the answer to hundreds of prayers I've prayed. I've asked God to birth a movement 
that would change a generation and you're part of the answer to my prayers. I'm standing on the stage and I'm able to say like Paul, God can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. You are that already. So here's a question I have for you guys today. What do you pray when God's already answered the biggest prayer you could ever pray? What do you ask God when you stand on a stage like this today and you say, God, you've already done it more than I ever would have thought I could see? I'm a kid from Sheldahl, Iowa, the biggest little town in three counties, 342 residents according to Wikipedia. This room is multiple times more than the little town I grew up in. It's so far beyond what I ever would have dreamed God would be able to do with my life. What do you pray when God has already answered your biggest prayers? Here's my answer. Bigger prayers. There's this time in the Chronicles of Narnia where one of the children runs into Aslan the lion and she says, why, Aslan, you're much bigger than I remember you. And he says, it's not so much that I've grown, but that you have. I thought I had a big vision of God in 2015, but he's bigger. So I want to pray bigger prayers to a bigger God. I want to dream bigger dreams to a bigger God. Why in the world would we have the biggest dreams in our life for money and fame and success? We have the God who's the king of heaven that we serve. I want to dream great dreams for a great God. I want to have a holy ambition for Jesus. So here's my prayers. And I want you to pray these with me every day. Luke 10.02, set your alarm. 10.02 every day, God birthed this thing of salt company through a prayer. Luke 10, verse two, the harvest is plentiful. Laborers are few, so pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers to his harvest field. So here's what I'm praying, Luke 10, 02. When it goes off in my alarm, I think of three things. I think of laborers, I think of lost people, and I think of new locations. The harvest is plentiful, laborers are few, guys. We need to pray for laborers. We need to pray for church planners. So as I've been praying for this weekend, I've had this mental picture in my mind, almost a vision from God, of this room and hundreds of spotlights on you. God calling out a person there and 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 there because this room, God is going to call out laborers and I, I mean something specific with that, guys. God wants to do more with your life than you have any idea. I think that it's likely that the church planter who finishes planting the last of the 403 major university campuses is a university student sitting in this room right now. I think one of you will finish it. When I say I'm praying for laborers, I'm praying for the next Mark Vance. I'm praying for the next Jordan Adams. I'm praying for the next Molly Hartman. I'm praying for the next courageous person to go to the next place and the next place. I'm asking God to raise up a generation that says the glory of God is bigger and better and more beautiful than the dreams that I have for me. I'm praying that God would send you. And I think in this room right now, God is stirring some people that you are terrified to say this because you don't want to make a promise to Jesus, but inside your soul, you're ready to raise your hand and say, here I am, Lord, send me. I want to go. God, send out the laborers. I'm praying for God to be raising up the church planters that would finish the vision of getting to every church in North America. Here's the second thing I'm praying for. I'm praying for lost people. I've been praying for some of you coming into this room this weekend. 
I know there are a lot of people here who walked in this room in love with Jesus, in love with what he's doing, but I also know there are a lot of people who walked in this room dead in their sins and trespasses, and I have been praying that you wouldn't just sing songs about God, have a good time getting around God, but you would move toward Christ by faith. I've been praying for you, but I've also been praying for lost people all across this country. Courtney shared this. Stats are gonna tell you, 18 million university students in North America, between 15, 20 million. Lost students, millions and millions of lost students. So here's what I've been asking God to give Salt Company. I'm asking God for 1% of all the university students in North America. That would be somewhere between 150 and 200,000 students involved in Salt Company in my lifetime. Which means we need to get a bigger conference room One percent. If God gave us one percent, guys, wouldn't that be incredible? 200,000 people. But let's be honest here, okay? If God gave us one percent, that would leave a whole bunch more percents that need to be reached. And so I'm not just praying for Salt Company, guys. Let's pray, guys, that God would do something in this movement, this family of churches. We should pray that. It's not selfish to ask God to work that way, but I'm looking at navigators, I'm looking at crew, I'm looking at the other campus churches and ministries all around North America, and I'm pleading with God to pour his spirit out on them. I don't just need one salt company, we need 10 salt company movements in North America right now. God, send it out. Raise up people to give us 1% of the lost people in North America. Laborers lost and then locations, that's the third thing I'm praying about. And I'm asking specifically, for 400 major university campuses. Here's where that idea came from. Back when we first kind of started this conference out, in uh, 2015, we sat down with some people from Send Network, the biggest church planning network in North America, and they shared a map with us with dots on it that represented every major campus in North America. And by the time when they ran that, when we ran the numbers of all the campuses in North America with 6,000 or more university students, it came out to 403 major university campuses. I don't know what it is now. It might be 379. But 403 is a lot catchier phrase. So we stuck with it. So here's what I'm praying for. I'm praying by the time I'm old, wrinkly man, which is not far away. It's not far away. By the time my grandkids are getting ready to go to college, they would sit down and say, Grandpa, here's where I'm gonna go to school, and they couldn't pick out a school in North America where there wasn't a salt company there for them because we were at all of them. 400. God, let it happen. God, let it happen. Raise up laborers to reach the lost, to go to new locations, When we pray at 1002, pray those sorts of prayers. And let me tell you guys, I know what we're asking for there. If God answered every one of those prayers, you know what you guys would be part of here? Probably the biggest movement of the gospel in North American history in the last 100 years at least. We have a word for that. It's called revival. It's not something that people in a room with a big dream can manufacture with strategy. It's something that God accomplishes because he pours his spirit out on ordinary people. It's revival. We're pleading with God. We're praying revival prayers to him who could do immeasurably more. God, you can do it. God, send revival. I want you to pray that. Luke 10.02, pray for laborers that would reach the lost people in every location of a major university center in North America. What you're gonna be praying for is God, send revival by your spirit. Send it, let us be a part of it. God can do it because he can do immeasurably more than we would ever ask or imagine. But here's the thing I want you to realize. We've only talked about the first two verses that we wanna look at, but those two verses, verses 20 and 21, are not the main point of Paul's prayer, they're the exclamation point of Paul's prayer. There is this explosion of praise, they're actually not what Paul prayed. I wanna show you now what Paul prayed, two requests and one result, go to the beginning of what we started reading, Ephesians chapter three, verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14. What does Paul pray? What's his main point, not his exclamation point? Here's what Paul prays. 
For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, and I pray. And at this point, I'm expecting a big one, right? I pray for something huge. I pray the Roman Empire would be reached. I pray he's the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And here's what Paul prays. He does not pray a revival prayer. He prays two things. First, he says, verse 16, I pray that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. That's request number one. By the spirit, Christ would dwell in the heart. And then secondly, request number two is this. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love, verse 18, may be able to, together with all the saints, comprehend what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Request one, that Christ would dwell in your heart by faith through the Spirit. Request two, that you'd have spiritual power to know how much God loves you. You notice that? Of all the things Paul could have started praying for, he didn't ask for a gospel revival in the world. He asked for a gospel renewal in the church. He didn't ask for a gospel revival in the world. He prayed for a gospel renewal in you. I want to unpack those two requests just briefly. Paul says, verse 16, I pray first that he'd grant you to be strengthened with power in your inner being through the Spirit. And here's the key request, the core of it, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. It's a request for spiritual power that Christ would dwell, that he would make a home in your heart. And we need to get at this, the meaning of this. What does it mean for Christ to dwell in the heart? And to get there, you need to understand the difference between a home and a hotel. A home is a place you dwell. A hotel is a place you temporarily stay. Here's the big difference between a home and a hotel. In a home, when you dwell in a home, you're praying for complete ownership versus temporary residence. And in a home, you make a long-term residence, not a short-term stay. Paul is praying Christ would have a home in your heart, not just a hotel. He wouldn't be the guest in your life, he'd be the owner of your life. What does it mean to have complete ownership? Years ago, when I was your age, guys, in college, I read a little pamphlet. It was called My Heart, Christ's Home. And in it, Robert Munger, the author of the pamphlet, what he did was he described the the surrender of life to God using an analogy, a metaphor of a home. He said to invite Christ in your life is like welcoming him into your home as a guest. And he pictures going room by room by room through his life into the study where Jesus would transform the thoughts of his mind, into the kitchen where Jesus would transform the appetites of his lusts, room by room by room, surrendering all of life to Christ until at the very end of this pamphlet, there's one room where Jesus goes, it stinks in there. There's a hallway closet. What's inside that closet? And the author says, I looked at Christ and I said, I've given you every single room. Can't I just keep that one? And Jesus goes to the man in that, in that story and he says this, I don't mean to be a guest in your heart, I mean to own your heart. And the last section of that whole story is titled, Transferring the Title. Here's a question I have for you, Salt Company. Have you let Jesus be a guest in your heart or the owner of your life? Have you transferred every bit of you to Jesus? Or are you holding on to that cherished sin, that long-term plan? Is there a room in your heart that Christ does not yet own? Jesus doesn't want to rent your life. He wants to own you. Have you surrendered everything to Jesus? And here's my gut. Probably for some of you, the Holy Spirit of God is saying, You surrender a lot of your heart, but not all of it. And you know what Jesus is asking you to give up. Will you do that? Christ dwelling in your heart means that he owns you. 
complete ownership. Secondly, dwelling in the heart means that Jesus makes up a long-term residence. He doesn't just have a short-term stay. Some of you guys are staying in a hotel this weekend. They're delightful places, but you wouldn't want to live there forever, right? It's fine as a temporary stay. But there's a vast difference between a home where you dwell and a hotel where you stay for a couple days. Salt Company, listen to me. The goal of your life is not to have an incredible four-year experience in Salt Company. The goal of your life is that you would die loving Jesus all the way to the end. I don't want you to have the best years of your life worshiping Jesus, your four years in college. I want you to walk with him for the 40 years after it. The highs and the lows for Christ to dwell in the heart by faith is a prayer for spiritual power that you wouldn't give up. I'm 41 years old. I know, I work out. <laughs> Look a little better than that is fine, guys. And the black is slimming. <laughs> and some of you guys are having the best time of your lives here. But you don't know how much you're gonna have to suffer to walk with Jesus. It will cost you everything. But it'll be beautiful and worth it. So don't give up, Salt Company. Don't give up. When you're tempted to sin and you fail and you think I've blown it, Jesus will never take me back. Don't give up. Don't get up when you're riddled with anxiety and you don't know what to do with your life and you want to take control of it. Don't give up. Don't give up when you go to that new church plant and it isn't going perfect the way that you thought you would see it happen at the conference. Don't give up. Don't give up. Christ dwelling in your heart means he wants a long-term residence. He wants you to walk with him your whole lifetime, not just your time in college. Don't give up, Salt Company. That's Paul's first prayer, that Christ would dwell in your hearts, complete ownership, long-term residence. Paul's second prayer, verse 17. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. Don Carson wrote on this, this is not a prayer that we would love Christ more, though certainly we should do that. That is, not, that is worth praying, but that's not Paul's prayer here. This is not a prayer that we would love Christ more, but that he would gra we would grasp his love for us. All through this weekend, guys, we've been singing these songs that say, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. You realize this prayer is not a prayer where we're praying, Jesus, we love you. This is God saying, I love you. Paul's prayer isn't that you would love God, but that you would know how much he loves you. That you would know somehow this unfathomably rich and deep and high and powerful love. That you would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? It's not just an intellectual set of things you write down and say, well, I know God loves you because of this and this and this and this. You know it because it's like God the Father, by the Spirit through the work of the Son, picks you up in his arms and he says, I love you. Do you know his love? Not just with your head, but with your heart all the way to the bones. Do you know the unknowable love of God? How do you put it to words? The old hymn, The Love of God, tried. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Was every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry? Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky, the love of God. Salt Company, can you listen to me for just a second here today? God doesn't just like you, he loves you. He loves you. The God who spoke worlds into being sees you. 
you. Half the time you wonder if your friends love you, if anyone pays attention to you. But the greatest being in all the universe, God Almighty from heaven, looks down over everything in the world and he sees Mark Vance from Shildall, Iowa. And he says, I love Mark. How in the world can that be real? He loves you. I said it one time this way. I don't know if you guys ever grew up playing that little game on the schoolyard where you pick up a flower and you, you tear the petals off. You know, he loves me. He loves me not. Right? He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. Right? You want to end on he loves me. Guys, if God the Father had a flower, a he loves me flower, you know that every petal on the flower that God holds in his hand regarding you is this. He loves me. 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 How can you write of the love of God? How can you say enough of it? Can't. So how do you grasp it? The Spirit of God does something in your heart. That's what Paul prays for. Not just that you would know about the love of God, not that you, just that you would love God, but that you would know he loves you. What would the result of those two requests be if Christ would dwell on our hearts with faith, if we would be overwhelmed, drenched with the love of God? The answer is, verse 19, we would be filled with all the fullness of God. We would look like the spitting image of our Father in heaven. That's a prayer, not for gospel revival in the world, but for gospel renewal in the church. Several weeks ago, as I was prepping for this uh, message, I went out on a run. I do that. And uh, as I'm out doing this, this yogging thing that I do, it's a soft J. <laughs> I'm out running, I, I listen to podcasts to just get me out of the misery that I'm in and try to transport my mind to a different place. I have a podcast, I listen to this old British preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And, I, and I like him, he's British, so he sounds intelligent and cool and bougie and I'm into that sort of thing. And so I was like, I'm gonna do this, let's rip it, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I, I looked up the podcast stream, it was Luke 10, 2. And I thought, oh, that's so good because I'm gonna preach on this gospel revival prayer. And so I started listening, I realized that I messed it up. And the, the sermon I was listening to was not an explanation of Luke 10, 2, but Luke 10, 20. Let me, let me give you the difference here. Luke 10, 2 is a prayer for a movement of the gospel, right? Lord, send out laborers to the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, laborers are few. And then what happens in Luke chapter 10 is the 72 are sent out, and they are witnesses to Jesus, and they see incredible movement of God. They come running back to Jesus. Luke 10, 17, it says the 72 returned with joy, and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to our name. Look at us, God. We've done an incredible thing for you. Where's our gold star, Jesus? And here's what Jesus said back, verse 18. I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning, which is kind of like you, me, you know? Like, oh, you went on a walk, cool, I walked on the moon. You know, it's like, oh, okay, yeah. You watched Satan fall, that's good. But here's the point he said, he said, look, I've given you authority. Trample snakes, scorpions, that power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. This is Luke 10, 20. However, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That shaped my prayers for you, Salt Company. Oh, God, I want a Luke 10, 2 movement, but I want a Luke 10, 20 heart. To use the language of Ephesians, we're praying for an immeasurably more gospel revival that flows from Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, gospel renewal. And it's not, by the way, a false dichotomy. You don't have to pick it. 
either you pick gospel renewal or you pick gospel revival. I hear people say that sometimes. Well, I don't wanna just be part of a big movement. I wanna love Jesus. The two are not opposed, but this is so important, Salt Company. Renewal and revival are not opposed, but one is the foundation of everything in your life, and it is not your mission for Jesus. It is his love for you. A great dream for God is not opposed to having great love for God, to knowing the great love of God for you. But guys, one thing in your life has to be the priority over anything else, the foundation over everything else. And Saul Company, if you hear nothing else that I say this whole session, here's what I want you to hear. Jesus is better than a mission for Jesus. Jesus is better than a mission for Jesus. Knowing the love of God is better than doing something amazing with your life. Jesus is better than seeing Salt Company grow. Jesus is better than seeing 400 campuses reached. Jesus is better. And if I never saw God do anything else in my life, but at the end of my life I said, I'm with Jesus, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that would have been a great life. You know why, guys? Jesus is better. Look, if you fall in love with the dream for revival, you have fallen in love with the wrong thing because the heart of Christianity is not a mission we're on for God, it's a mission God's on to seek and save that which is lost. The heart of Christianity is not a dream you have for God, it's what God has already done for you in Jesus, and no matter what you do for God, nothing you do for God will ever stand up to what God has already done for you in Christ. Do you know the love of God? David Mathis came across an article of his working on this sermon. It's titled, Jesus is Better Than Working for Jesus. And in it, he shares the story of the death of Ray Ortland Sr. Ray, Ray Ortland Sr. was an incredible pastor, one of the great pastors in all of America. John Piper, in his college days, went to his church. He shaped a generation of pastors. He was used of God to do incredible gospel movement. His son, Ray Ortland Jr., some of you will have heard his name, really incredible pastor out of the Nashville area. And Ray Ortland Sr. was on his deathbed July 22nd, 20, 2007. He woke up in his hospital room in Newport Beach in California knowing it would be his last day on earth. So he called his whole family together. Ray Ortland Jr. was not able to make it. He's a pastor in Nashville. He was out of town that day, but the rest of the family could gather with his dad around his bedside. They read scripture, they sang hymns, and Ray Ortland Sr. pronounced a blessing over every single one of the members of his family, a special word he had from God. Then he prayed the prayer of the ironic priests, Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, shine his face on you and give you peace. And then he went quiet, fell asleep and died peacefully. Later, Ray Ortland Jr. asked his sister, dad had pronounced a blessing on every single one of the family members. What was dad's word for me? I want to read you his word for Ray Ortland Jr., a great pastor whose ministry has been used of God to shape thousands of people. What did his father, a great pastor in his own right, tell him on his deathbed? He said this, tell Bud, that was his name for Ray, tell Bud, ministry isn't everything. Jesus is. Salt Company. Salt Company isn't everything. Jesus is. A mission for God is in everything. Jesus is. So every day, guys, Luke 10.02, when my alarm goes off, I still pray that God would raise up laborers to go to the lost in new locations, but I've added on to my Luke 10.02 prayer, Luke 10.20 prayer for you in Salt Company. And I, to the God whom you knew immeasurably more than we could ever ask or think, you know what I've been praying for you? That Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith. He'd take up long-term ownership in your life. And that you being rooted and grounded in his love would somehow, even this weekend, have the power to know the love of God. I've been praying, God, send revival, a gospel revival on Salt Company that is experiencing a gospel renewal in the soul. So here's how I want to end our time together this morning. 
You shouldn't teach on a prayer unless you lead people to pray. So I actually want to have a season of corporate prayer here. And frankly, guys, you may need a little bit of space here because the first thing Paul says is, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And so some of us need to learn that the postures of our prayer will move the heart of our prayer, and we need to get on our knees before our Father. So if you need your Bible, your journal, we're just going to take five, six minutes, and we're going to talk to our Father in heaven. And if prayer is not something that you normally do, don't worry, I'll walk you through this whole time, all right? But I want us, Salt Company, to seek God together. I want this to become a prayer room, not just a conference room right now, okay? So guys, if you need a little bit of space, you can get in the aisles, you need to get on your face before God. This is a big old room, friends. We got a few minutes where we just need to seek the Lord together. Paul starts out his prayer, guys. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And I want you to start, Saul Company, with your prayers to God, just thinking for one second as your knees are bowed, you realize this. You're not just praying to the God of heaven, you're praying to your Father in heaven. Thank him for that. Tell him, I love you, Father, and you love me. was your father and I wonder salt company what's the word that your father has wanted to say to you this weekend He's the best dad. He's the best father. He sees you. He wants you to hear from him. He's given you his word. He's given you his spirit. Could you just say, speak, Lord. What have you wanted to say to me? What's the word your father in heaven has wanted you to hear this weekend? Talk to him about that. this reason I bow my knees before the Father and I pray that through the power of the Spirit Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith is there part of the room of the house of your life that right now you need to confess and surrender to God salt company tell him that give that to him Say, God, I've been holding this back. This is yours. Give every part of you to him. And maybe for some of you, you need to, for the first time right now, on your knees before the Father, turn over the title deed of your life. Christ would dwell in your heart by faith. Talk to God. By the power of your spirit, Christ would dwell in the hearts of this room by faith. And oh God, I pray that they being rooted and established in love would somehow have the power to know the height and the breadth and the length and the depth of your unknowable love.
It's all companies, you just stay before the Father in prayer. Can I tell you a little bit about how much God loves you? He's proud of you. He looks down on every person who's in his son, Jesus, and because of the finished work of Jesus, he doesn't see the flaws in your life. He sees the perfection of his son, Jesus. He's proud of you. He's a good father in heaven, which means he isn't sitting there looking for you to mess up. He's like a dad watching his young child take their first toddling steps forward. He's cheering on you, leaning in the right direction. He loves you, Saul Company. He loves you. And he doesn't love you because you love him perfectly. You know, this is love. It's not that we loved God. It's that he loved us and that he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here's how much he loved you. He took the most precious thing he had in the whole world and he sent Jesus for you. He said, here's how much I love them. I won't hold back my son so that on the worst day of your life, on the moment of your biggest failure, you'd say, is there a God in heaven who could love me? And you could always look to a cross and say, that tells me he does. That forever at the cross of Jesus, his love for you would be satisfied. Salt Company, do you know how much God loves you? So now on your knees, tell him, that you need to know. Ask him by the Spirit. The Bible says the Spirit of God is given to pour out into our hearts the love of God. So ask him by the Spirit of God, God, would you pick us up like a father and hold us in your arms so that we would know your love by your Spirit now. Tell him you need to know his love, Salt Company. Ask him. Tell him how much you love him. There's nothing in the world that moves the heart of a father more than his children saying, Dad, I love you. Tell him how much you love him. Oh, we love you, Father. You've been so good. Renew our hearts in the good news of the gospel so that you would lift us up and send us out. So God, we've prayed gospel renewal prayers now together in this room. We wanna pray some big God gospel revival prayers. You're the God who can do immeasurably more than we could ask or think. And so I've been praying, God, that you would call out laborers for the harvest. And so here's the question I'm gonna ask you guys. I'm gonna ask you to be bold because if you're gonna be a laborer for the harvest, you're gonna have to do some hard stuff sometimes. This isn't you signing a contract to God with your life. This is you saying, if you're willing to say, I think God actually might be calling me out to be one of those laborers to move my life, devote my life to the gospel in a special way, I actually wanna ask you to stand up. If you're saying, God, I think, I think God's calling me out to be a laborer in a special way. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you, for those people who are standing up all around this room, I want you guys to look over at your friends, people who are near you, and I want you to go run over to them and put your hands on them and pray that God would send them out. Don't just pray for laborers generally. Pray for this person by name. God, this is a laborer you want to use. Send them. Offer your prayers to God out loud. Ask God, send them out, Father, in power.
Jesus, when you wanted to change the world, you sent out 12 ordinary people, and this is way more than 12. So God, raise up laborers for a harvest. Let those who stood, Lord, there are people who are standing now who are gonna be part of finishing this mission that you gave us, God. Thank you. And now, guys, lift up your voices. Don't just pray for these laborers. Pray for the lost. Ask God for the 1%. Ask him to send a revival that would spread throughout the campuses of North America. Pray for the people you know who are far from God. Ask by name that God would save them. Ask, guys. Ask God to send his spirit and move. Pray for the towns, pray for the locations that we need to go. Pray for the next college town where we're not already. Ask God for Denton. Ask him for North Texas, ask him for UNLV. God send your spirit on Christian and his team, God. We need you. Ask him, Salt Company. Pray for the next place, pray for the nations, that the nations would know that he's God. Oh, we pray fervently, Lord of the harvest, send out laborers to the lost, to the new places, God. Send them out to Knoxville, Tennessee, God. Let a gospel movement happen because they went. God, we're asking. We're asking. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, above and beyond all that you could ever ask or imagine, God, we're dreaming the biggest dreams we have. Please, God, please. You can do more. And all we're doing right now is, God, we're pleading for the Spirit to blow, to come, Holy Spirit, and send the gospel revival. We cannot manufacture that, God. We recognize we're just like a sailboat on the ocean. Without the wind, all we have is a sail. But God, if Salt Company is a sail, blow the wind of the Spirit. Send us out. God, do a mighty work. Bring revival in the name of Jesus, God, we pray it. Send your spirit out on these people like a fire, like a wind from heaven. Send us out, God. If we're a sail, we want you to blow, God. Blow, Holy Spirit, and send us out. Bring a mighty revival and a gospel-renewed people. For the glory of Jesus, to all generations, to all nations, amen and amen and amen.